Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hi, folks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey, and I think our microphones are on. Yes. It does appear that our microphones are on. All right. Jason didn't have a head. Making a little fine-tuning adjustment there. Uh, and we are, uh, are you, are you done? Oh, wait, we are, are you giving uh, us bunny ears over there? What's happening? We are testing a, a, uh, oh, a new widget. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, so. There's a whole generation of people who have no idea what that visual <laughs> I, I bit know, is. Right? Uh, Kids in the hall, so. Anyway, welcome everybody. Good to have you here. Um, if you are listening to this uh, show as a podcast, um, you're missing out. Are you I guess, sure? Right? Do you really want so, to be? Um, I don't know. All right. So before we get to our topic, mm-hmm. we can do an unboxing real quick. It's I got we got mail. Unenveloping. Unenveloping. We have mail, and and this this is interesting because it comes from Bloomington, Indiana. And it is not the normal type of mail that we would get. Usually, if it's a book, it's going to be a lot thicker. Sure, right. You know, or if it's a CD or a DVD, rather, it comes in a little comic book, maybe, or maybe. I mean, yes, there's only one camera. It's not a Gemini mailer, so I don't know that it would be a comic book. It's a small oh. Oh, 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 let's see. What is this? Oh, it is a, it is a, it is a book. Um, I, I, I knew this was coming because I had emails about it. Uh, this is book one of the Hacker Trilogy. It's called Breaking Backbones. Mm-hmm. And it is by Deb Radcliffe. A hacker war 17 years in the making erupts after Globecom takes over the world through human chip implants. There's the beginning of that. All right, I see, uh, I see Mazerus uh, in, the, in the chat. So Mazerus, you're going to be our guinea pig here. So uh, um, did I have that? Do I have it turned on? I do. All right, we've, so. Uh, we've emailed you your, your waiver that you're signing. So and, uh, Mrs. Boss, if you would, over here on Twidget, which is our our new little thing here. Twidget. That's what they call it. I didn't name it that. Okay. There's there now is our ability to show individual chat messages on screen, very okay. much like Screenyard does okay, or Stream gotcha. Streamyard. Right. Sure. Um, okay, cool. But OBS has not had that capability. It's one of the one of the things that I've complained about before, the fact that we didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, I like that, you know, I like that ability in StreamYard. Uh, but somebody finally wrote a little mm-hmm. plug-in because OBS is open open sure, source. Right. So somebody finally has this thing, it's called Twidget. It'll, it'll connect to YouTube and Twitch. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to connect to Facebook, but it doesn't. It'll connect, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't do. I might have to adjust the positioning of it 
because depending on how much people say in the chat. Oh, I see, because I, I it, couldn't actually, Mindy's, Mindy's head was actually blocking the other screen, so I can. Yeah, so depending on how much is in the chat, cool. the box gets thicker or sure, you know, sure. whatever. So we'll, we'll have to play with it a little bit. But yeah, there, so we have now the capability of, of showing individual chats on screen. That's cool. I'm, I'm very pleased with that. I had a bit of, I had a bit of panic when my, um, I upgraded my operating system on my Mac. Uh, I've been putting it off, mm. putting it off, because I I tried to upgrade it before and it it, 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 it went poorly. Sometimes that happens. It does. Uh, I tried it again over the weekend um, around Thanksgiving, weekend before Thanksgiving, and it went poorly. And I did it again, and it went fine. And and the first week I was working with it, it was every time I opened a new program, it was like, so um, are you sure you want to do this? Would you, yeah. would you like to talk about your settings? And I'm like. Okay, this is, this is a little <laughs> nervous, right? But I have a lot of, I had a lot of older programs running on it. Sure. And consequently, as you bump up the, the operating system, some of those older programs no longer function. Right. And Okay, so it's a little bit high. So is we'll it have covering to, our faces. It's not covering our faces. <laughs> it's it's down it's down over the over the the stack here. Gotcha. But it's a little bit high in the shot. Go ahead and pull, uh, Mazers. I appreciate your your trying to to give us uh, adequate adequate methods of testing this thing. So if you want to pull his up through this again. Here's this big one. All right. So that's the maximum size. That's not bad. It's not bad. So what we probably would want to do is is uh, Mrs. Boss, if you go in and click on the Twidget source there, and uh, right there at the top of the thing, right there, and then over on the uh, left there, you can just no, 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 not that. Just grab a hold of it there and and drag it down a little bit, and then right click on, in the list, list. on on the Twidget thing, right click there. Okay. No, no, uh, in, in, in the list, right there, the list of sources. <laughs> right click. And if you're listening to this at home, folks, I'm sure it's really gripping. The other right click. No, right, right click, right quick. Say that 10 times fast. That 10 times fast. There you go. Transform in the middle, up there in the middle of the list, and then all the way down center horizontally. There, okay, now then hit cut at the top there in the middle. And there we go. Cut off. <laughs> okay. Um, so some of the some of the programs actually I, I would rather keep using. Um, uh, some of them don't exist anymore. Right. So um, but I'm not the only person who, who sometimes looks at legacy programs or, or programs that are no longer being updated and are no longer uh, officially being used. And sat there. I'm not the only person who, who thinks that having those be around be useful. So somebody wrote some code. And they're like, "Okay, <laughs> we can. You can run this stuff. It's it's not that this stuff doesn't run on the newer systems. It's just that there's it's not, clunky. It, well, it's 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 less that the newer systems don't natively include them and don't natively include this code. Right. And so it's like, well, we can write that code and the new systems are quite content with having that code so you can use all this old stuff, which was nice. I uh, was re I was rebuilding a piece of video over the weekend and 
it struck me. I, I kept getting this message that it didn't recognize any of the any of the QuickTime in the MOV files. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm thinking, well, what? It, you know, this is. It should be. It should be able to do it. It should be able to handle it. Why is it not handling? It? Mm -hmm. And uh, I accidentally launched After Effects today. And because I was looking for something else, and sure. accidentally, you know, clicked on it. And it pops up. It says, uh, "QuickTime's not installed on this computer." <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and this is again. This is the the tower we swapped out because the other one got fried, so it, it didn't have QuickTime. So I had to go and download QuickTime today. I'm like, oh, there's a. So, and you and I, you and I have dealt with this. I think a couple of times, both both of us have is. Sometimes you have an external hard drive that will mess with your computer system. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's, you can get the, the files on the external hard drive, but if you're plugging it into your computer somehow, suddenly your computer will sit there and go, "I don't feel so good." Yeah. And it might actually fall over and twitch for a while. Um, and this started to happen last week, where I couldn't open programs, I couldn't use my my uh, uh, Finder Windows. Oh. And then it would suddenly just, the screen would just shut off. And I'm like, okay, could, you know, I just updated the system, right? right? So I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, because it broke it. I had like, you know, several days where it was just, I'm adjusting the new versions of things, but it was fine. And so I'm like, okay, so I now need to figure out which of my 15 <laughs> external hard drives oh. uh, is the culprit here. I have a pair over there of solid state drives mm -hmm. that I have in a little RAID array box mm -hmm. and I have not been able, of course I haven't really spent a whole lot of time on it, but I have not been able to get the computer to actually see them as drives. Mm -hmm. It sees they're connected. Oh hey, you have this thing connected. But it doesn't talk to them yet. So yeah, I've still got to figure that stuff out. Mazer says, I've had an external hard drive wreck a very old Sim 3 save file. Sims 3 save file, never again. Um, I have not had that particular thing happen. Although, I have run into this thing now. And I don't know why this is. It could be because I didn't have QuickTime installed. Could be. Um, story blocks, where we get all of our music and our sure, stock footage, right, yeah. our video uh -huh. stuff, which we pay for. Um, I was doing a search today for some uh, for some stock footage, right. video, and as I'm going through and I'm scrolling through the various different samples, when you roll your mouse over it, it, it plays right, so sure. you can see uh -huh. what it is, right? I get over on one particular one and all four of my screens go black because Mm -hmm. reasons, and, it, and sure. it was like, it, I guess it's a RAM thing and it, you know, this window starts to come back, and, and the one with story blocks comes back in pieces. Mm. And it's not even, it's like segments of the browser and a little frame here and this right, picture yeah. here. And I was like, oh, this is the last thing I need today. <laughs> I have a friend of mine who's a, an actor, um, and I've edited some of his one-man shows. And he just recorded a show, three cameras set up, got all the footage, we're talking about me editing it because, mm. you know, he we done it we done an edit before where there were some lighting issues and things like that, and his external hard drive goes down. Mm. 
he's taking it in to get it looked at and potentially hopefully he can get the footage back. We have started using solid state drives here yeah. because the regular old drives don't hold up. Um, you know, I there's a reason I have there's a reason I have 15 external hard drives. Yeah. May I help you, junior office dog? There are there are many dogs again, folks. If you're just listening, there are many dogs in the picture at this time. Yes, we are we are babysitting the standard poodle again, Wilson. Go go lay down, Wilson. I guess we should get to our topic. Eventually. Eventually. I mean, sure, why not? I do not speak dog. Go lay down. Well, I, that is. <laughs> Well, it is about communication, and, and the animals do sort of understand us. And uh, there, was a, there was a movie, where there was a song, if I could talk to the animals, uh, Dr. Doolittle. I understood that reference. Yes. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not, not, not the, uh, uh, the critically panned and audience-avoided uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. version, uh, which I have not seen. I haven't either. Uh, but from all accounts, um, was a misfire of fairly sizable proportions. It wow. happens. Movies. It, it happens. It, you know, all kinds of stars make films that are are not. Particularly You're thinking specifically of the Rex Harrison. I'm thinking of Rex Harrison, yes. which is also not a great movie, but it's got some charming moments. Um, um, he yes, did, he did two actually. I think Eddie Murphy did. He did, did Nutty Professor. But he also he also did a yeah yeah. Did he do a Doolittle? It was a Doolittle riff. I think he did two films. Yeah, during that whole period where he was basically doing you know Nutty, it was the Disney films getting right or those particular uh, kind of films. So it you know paid him pretty well. Uh, can't go I'm sure he doesn't <laughs> complain, but they're they're kind of slight pictures. But uh, no, you know, I'm 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 going all the way back to the Rex Harrison version. You know, we should we should, at some point, since you mentioned Eddie Murphy, we should revisit the Golden Child, and talk about that on this show sometime. We could look at the Golden Child. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw the line at, at watching Pluto Nash. Oh no 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 no! Not Pluto Nash. I didn't say Pluto Nash. I'm just saying. I don't have any interest in seeing Pluto Nash. I'm just. I'm just but the saying. Golden Child, I think. I I'm curious because at one point we were talking about, you know, going back to some of those novels that we were forced to read in English class in high sure, school, right, uh -huh, yeah. and see how how they aged mm -hmm. up and and how how we would respond to them as adults now, right? And I got to thinking about this the other day, the '80s. And early '90s were almost this—I don't want to say a renaissance period—but there was this block of time in film where you had everything. You had the Goonies, you had uh, *Empire Strikes sure, Back*, right, yeah. *Return of the Jedi*, *Wrath of Khan*, *Aliens*, um, you know, *Terminator*, *Lethal Weapon*. All of these things—you know, *Goonies* and *Crawl* and all of this stuff that came out in that. Time. It's almost like this sure. this time fifteen year time window capsule. where yeah yeah and and the I I had forgotten about this but the golden child was in that in that block as well. It's interesting. So much of that stuff really was, and we will get to our topic. I swear. Uh, so much of that stuff was actually <laughs> driven by um, the ability for computer controlled shots. Mm. Computer controlled shots and the beginning of of computer generated imagery. 
Yeah. Even the clunky stuff that you had, you know, really the early days of, of special effects, so much of that stuff was driven by the fact that you could do things quicker. And with moderately computer, cheaper. <laughs> with computer control, you could do them over and over again right, yeah. the same way. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have to worry about, well, is this shot going to line up to the other stuff? Right. And that uh, really made a huge difference. Mazur says, the Goonies audio commentary on the DVD is really interesting, reunites the entire cast and Richard Donner. We'd have to listen to that. Yeah, I, that'd I, be I, that would be interesting. Um, yeah. I, I have talked about this before. Have you ever sat and listened to the commentary track on Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, yes. <laughs> First of all, folks, if you have the opportunity to listen to any John Carpenter commentary tracks, just do but so. But especially that one. That Well, that one and because, Escape from New York yeah, and because, The Thing. But on, on Big Trouble in Little China, you would think that the commentary track would be about Big Trouble in Little China. But you would be wrong. You would be wrong, because <laughs> most of that they spent talking about their kids playing hockey. Right. It was so fun. I was like, there is, what are they going to talk about the there movie? There has been more, more, than, more than one uh, commentary track involving those two particular people that have involved... Uh, Having a few drinks as they go. Well, and, and I had so I much heard, fun. Yeah, I heard so the clever. speculation that that particular audio commentary track okay. they were they were relatively soused. Oh yeah, they're, <laughs> so. they're, they're, they they've admitted it more than once that they they sit there because they're friends and they get together and they yeah. and they talk yeah, about yeah. them and have a few drinks. It's great. All right, so why don't we get to our topic? Since we are talking about communication, but not the type that the dogs do when they start sniffing each other. What, what, what do we have <laughs> well, strictly speaking, I mean, stri strictly speaking, that's not right either. But we're talking about languages in genre storytelling, and in, in, in primarily, primarily in in film and television, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess some some in audio because you have folks doing stuff in audio uh, plays yeah. and things like that. But it's a, it's a thing in science fiction fantasy, science fiction and fantasy uh, primarily. Horror, not so much, although we did talk a little bit before the show that you have partial language. You have things like Lovecraft uh, inventing the, the, or the language of the old ones, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, Cthulhu Fatagan. Yeah. You know, but it's not a complete language, right? It's, it's parts of it. It's, it's right. And, and in the context of those stories, most of the very few of the characters ever actually become linguists in these ancient languages. Mm. If they are, they're sort of a walk-on character, and they're gone by the next, you know, two or three pages down the line. But when you get into things like Star Wars, Star Trek, um, uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, um, although that predates, because I, for well, for for lack of information, I'm going to guess that the Elvish language that Tolkien came up with was probably one of the first created languages outside of something like Esperanto. Well, this is what happens when you actually have a uh, somebody who teaches yeah. languages uh, and who is a historian and a linguist decide he wants to do a fantasy story. Yeah. Um, because he just goes all in and creates real alphabets, real grammar, real sentence structure. And in many ways, I think for the longest time, that was kind of the gold standard, and well, it still is in many ways, 
but well, it's the most complex one out there, I would think. Well, he, it's, it's it's not only good, it's not it's a family of languages. Mm. It's not just Elvish. It's not just Orc. It's not just it's all the different languages of, right. of Middle Earth. Now you get into the modern era, and you've got you know Klingon and Vulcan and Romulan and these Hatties. are these are languages that have been developed that are fully functioning languages. Funnily enough though, the Romulan language, not necessarily in film and television. Uh, you, had the, you had the Klingon language that Mark Okren came up mm -hmm. with based on what Jimmy Doohan had done in the first motion picture. Right. And from there he built this whole thing out. I, I, I will always continue to find it amusing, however, that Okrand had trouble in Star Trek VI because now suddenly this entire language that he's built without the verb to be <laughs> now suddenly has to have the verb to be. Mm -hmm. He's like, the entire language is structured around the absence of that verb and now I have to do it. Um, but the 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 Rihansu language, not the Romulan language, but the Rihansu language, that's in the books. Diane Duane. Diane Duane. Yep. And I have to wonder how much she did this, and how much she noodled it with other people, and let's come up with something. Well, within I mean, it's it's a very consistent language within the books. Yeah. So her her Rihansu novels, and there's what four? I think so, three or four. And and so the, there's a uh, it, reading them all, you gain a certain amount of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, here's an example. You know, just recently in our theaters, the languages created for Dune, yes, which are built in many ways on modern languages. There's a lot of uh, Arabic in there. There's a lot of uh, 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 Eastern. Um, uh, Indian, um, there's a lot of, of course, European, but there's, all, I mean, there's, a, there's a huge part of, of uh, Arabic languages actually growing into a modern, or a modern for them, uh, uh, language structure that, that is recognizable but it's still a little bit alien because it's so removed in terms of time. The language has evolved. Right. Um, but of course, the books are primary. Or the books are are written in English with this smattering of these extra words to sort of build up this environment. But in some cases, we're talking about these things where you've got like you know, they, you could do, and there has been done, an entire play in Klingon. Yes, um, more than one actually, mm -hmm. because uh, there is a Klingon translation of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. And there's a Klingon translation of A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's any past that. I do know that occasionally there will be some weddings that partially are I done in Klingon. I have a vague memory of someone doing a Klingon version of Macbeth, which seems so obvious. Well, I know that. That's the, such a Klingon story. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, and the Klingon Christmas Carol, there was an outfit, I want to say, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
that does it every year. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I th didn't they have a didn't they have a year where they couldn't? Well, the pandemic and stuff being such, but there was a year I think they couldn't do it, and then they came back and they're they're doing it again. So mm -hmm. we'll have to look that up and see where we can find this. Yes. It's not loading. It's not loading. Okay. So this this new twidget widget thing that we have here. Try it out, see how um, it goes, and it takes some... On occasion, it stops, and I don't know why that is, so what you can do is you hit the stop button, and then up top there with the little arrow on the on the YouTube window up, up there next to the end stream button, don't hit the end stream button though, there's a little curved arrow there up top, um, you're, you're almost there, you're, there you are, now come up, click on that, and then hit the copy button for the thing over there. Put down, yeah, there you go. Hit that. Okay, and then close that. And then come back to the twidget. Come to the right, uh, come to the left. Yeah, there you go. Now hit start again. Paste it in there in the. Yeah. yeah. Control V. And then hit connect. I don't know why it loses its connections. It, right? yeah, it's, it's, it's buggy, but it but it still it, it still gives us hey, something. It's, it's an option. It's an yeah, option. So, so, yeah. so one of the things that Tolkien did, which I think that uh, you get something like Mark and, Mark Ogden already also doing, is he based the languages on existing languages to some mm -hmm. degree. So right. Elvish is got a lot of Welsh in it. Um, uh, or one of the Elvish languages. Some of them, uh, the other language, Elvish dialects have Greek in there. So he, he's building, because again, linguist, yeah. he's building on things he's already got experience with. And one of the things that how this can really, really work well in genre fiction is that it can give you a sense of the alien in a very, you know, we talk about, we talk about visual shorthand a lot, yeah. but it's also audio shorthand. If you hear someone speaking in a language you don't recognize, it is, uh, while there are many languages I cannot speak, I, I studied German in high school. <laughs> uh, I, I did too. And, and quite frankly, um, I wish I'd studied uh, uh, Spanish or French. I, my family, like, do we have German, you know, we're German Scots, so, except the thing is, is that I don't use German. Right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I could, I probably should go and learn something like French or Spanish <laughs> at this point, but the the thing is that you, we recognize languages, so you, if you hear someone speaking in Russian, you're thinking Eastern Europe, if nothing else. If you yeah. hear somebody speaking in Swahili, you're here thinking... Um, somewhere in Africa, probably, or you hear someone speaking, uh, you know, Spanish. You can, you know, you, you can ballpark the part of the planet. Yeah, it doesn't sound alien. It just I, sounds different. I than find your own it language. really interesting. Out of out of all of the languages that I've heard spoken, mm -hmm. Japanese is one where you'll have somebody who's just rattling off all of this Japanese and then an English technical word pops in in the middle of it and then more Japanese because there are certain words in English, especially with regards to technology, mm -hmm. that they don't have at all. So they use the English 
just drop it right there in the middle of all of this this well and to some degree we see this happening because we have there are a lot of brand name things mm -hmm. that we treat as generic words that are not generic words. Yeah. Um, a Xerox machine is a specific thing, but we use, you know. Well, it's been genericized so much that they've lost the trademark. But there's a lot of things like that. Kleenex, yeah. um, sometimes, you know. When you ask somebody if they want a Coke, you might not be talking about a Coca-Cola product. Yeah. You know, so there's, but there's a lot of different stuff like that. And some of this stuff um, has recently popped up in copyright law stuff that's been like over here, you know, popping mm -hmm. up because there's some wrinkles. But, but the, the, the power of the English language is that it sort of just absorbs everything around it and pulls from different languages. Yeah. It's, it's very much a mutt of a language. It is. And, but it also makes it, it gives it a, a certain amount of strength because it can then go and get incorporated into other people's languages as well. So yeah, um, I, you, you see a lot of that. Christopher Hoffman, what do you think of the melange of languages used to create Blade Runner's city speak? Do you think it was effective to establish an alien language? Because, well, and that's an interesting question because we talked a little bit about uh, uh, Farscape, but also you look at something like Firefly, mm -hmm. for example, where <laughs> a lot of that is a mixture of Chinese, English, and, and various things. And I think, I think it's one of those uh, conceits that some future, future speculative fiction assumes that there's going to be more of a blending of cultures and you know either that or we're all just you know are are it's inevitable the Chinese are going to take over. But it's well, it's one the, of those the, things where you that start was, to that hear was that Japan uh, in in the Blade Runner in Blade right. Runner. And the th idea was is that because it's set in the future world of when now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the and they were looking they were, and, and really that was that was a extrapolation of Japan at the time was controlling technology in a way. It mm. was producing technology. And the idea would be that he who controls the technology controls the world. Right. You know, he who, he who holds the power of the spice. Um, but the thing <laughs> is, is that, quite frankly, it didn't turn out that way. Now, the idea there that there would be, uh, it wouldn't be Japan conquering us militarily, it would be the influence of Japan would essentially conquer Cultural. culturally. And I think that, you know, it could certainly happen. And, you know, that, that sometimes that happens in cultures. But, yeah. but it definitely gave you a sense of a future world, uh, a, different, a different environment. Right. Um, interestingly enough, far, uh, uh, for Firefly, I was watching... I went down a reaction video rabbit hole, mostly involving songs. Uh, every now and again, it's like, "Oh, you sweet summer child, you've <laughs> never heard." And then it's like watching some, you know, twenty-year-old watch, you know, sing, see Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time, and their eyes yeah. just explode. But there was this uh, in pop the original, the, not the Muppet version. Pops up over <laughs> in the window that there's this. Uh, um, uh, 
Chinese speaker reacts to Firefly. And I was like, interesting. And she is, she's like, I'm, her, her premise is that she's learning English. And uh, so she's, she's you know, right. looking at, at uh, American entertainment, you know, uh, English entertainment that incorporates Chinese. And she's watching Firefly. She's going, what are they talking about? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. What is this? What is that word they're trying to say? She she likes the idea, but she thought the execution was right. she was that she was that's not how you say that word, or or, okay. That that was really clever. She's like oh she's like she's like, I'm using that one. I'm using that one. You know I thought it was I thought it was really funny because because we we get this you know sense when you're when you're in the language when you're speaking English and these other things come in there to to shape how you're perceiving the world that these characters live in. Yeah. But then you have someone who actually speaks that language and goes... That's not how you say that. That's not how you say that. Yeah. But they also find themselves enjoying it because they're getting the reverse because while they may speak English, the English, English speaking audience, that's who that show is being written for. And if you're coming in from a, from a language, another culture, another language, English, English is that foreign language where the sentence structure is different mm -hmm. and, and the grammar is, is curious. And, right. And so I think that I, I, I was like, I'm going to have to see what else she's got. Mazur says, Klingon and Tolkien Elvish aside, a fictitious language I usually recognize immediately is actually Hatties. Mm, sure. When Lucas reintroduced it in the prequels, it was easy to delineate. Yeah. yeah uh, and. I, he's got a, an interesting question here about the the Stargate language, the Gold mm -hmm. language, whether or not how much it was based on ancient Egyptian. Because in the movie, you have those moments where uh, when Daniel, when when Shuri takes him to the caves, and they're going through all of the language, and he realizes that he knows this language. This is ancient Egyptian, and and you know, uh, O'Neill confronts us. I thought you said you couldn't talk about. It. And, you know, I, I thought you couldn't understand it, couldn't speak it. And he says, "Well, this has been a dead language on Earth for thousands of years. I just know how to pronounce it." You know, and, and of course, you have the the shift over time. Sure. But I, that's an interesting question. I don't. I don't know how much of the old language was based on ancient. I would Egyptian. say probably not a lot, because just like. There are quite a few classical languages that we don't actually know how they sound. Mm -hmm. We know how they're written. We know the structure. Uh, but it's like, it's. I think there's parts of Latin that people are like, we don't actually know how that sounds anymore. Yeah. Um, we know how it, people have used it for the last, you know, few hundred years, but its original form. Um, I'm going to say that, that we have that problem, and, and someone, p please correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that Egyptian for those languages we don't know the actual sound of anymore. Well, didn't the Egyptians speak Aramaic? Well, so, uh, so interestingly enough, there is a show I've started listening to as a Canadian teacher uh, who's got a show called Our Fake History. Okay. I highly recommend it. He looks at historical myths, and one of the things he's talked about multiple times is the history of Egypt. And hi the his you don't realize how many times there has been a foreign conqueror ruling over Egypt. Oh, yeah. And the language shifts uh, and the cultural shifts. We tend to think of Egypt as Egypt and then 
Rome. Yeah. And that's not how it works. It's there's there was a whole bunch of shifts in culture, shifts in language. Um, the Mesopotamians were in there. Uh, there were the Sea Peoples. All kinds of cool stuff. But um, so yes, but also no, and it depends on when. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta get comfortable if you're a dog. Anyway. Um, but the thing is, I'm sure I'm sure it was influenced because I think one of the things that a lot of a lot of science fiction authors do. It's very cute. Oh yeah, she thinks she's cute. Oh yes, she's pulling it up too. A, a lot of things science fiction and fantasy authors do is try the, really hard. For those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, Penny, the junior office dog, has contorted herself. Slightly in my lap. Are you? Are you? Yes. People are laughing about you. Are you going to hide your face some more? Dogs like I'm just. Th you're the one having problems. I'm just Don't getting you comfy. grunt at me. I didn't start it. <laughs> All um, right. Where were we? But uh, so they. A lot of times they'll they'll take this these these existing languages and, and work them in. I think that you can look at something like um, Rahansu mm -hmm. and feel. You know, there's there's some romance language in there. There's there's sort yeah. of an Eastern Eastern European, but also French kind of worked and, in there. And that's that's an interesting one because when I read Rihan in the books, it feels like there's a lilt to it, mm -hmm. and it's almost like a like you say with French, like a French Latin type of thing. Whereas with Klingon, they're speaking German. You know, I mean, it's that, well, that yeah, guttural. I mean, there's a, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of spitting in German. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, a lot of throat clearing. If you're, <laughs> if you're ever, if you're ever in a very intense <laughs> discussion with a German person, um, um, be aware. Um, the best, the best part of my German class was the last week, mm. where my German instructor said, "Okay, I'm now going to teach you how to swear in German." Mm. And she told us all the standard swear words, and then she got creative. Ah. It was very entertaining. There, um, there's a joke that goes around the internet. Um, just the one. Which, well, <laughs> wit, be sure so, something along the lines of be sure to wish your your family, friend, whatever, happy birthday, but do it in German so they think that you're, you know, it scares them at the well, same yes, time. But yeah, so well, it's it's a it's got a very it has the potential to be very very harsh. Although German has its own um, parts of it that is quite beautiful as well. But uh, yeah, you can you can find this, and I think it you uh, for a long time things like uh, Tolkien you didn't you didn't need to know Elvish to enjoy Lord of the Rings. Right, it was an addition. It was an extra. It was a very serious uh, uh, back end of the book. <laughs> you could find in the <laughs> appendix a very long appendix section. Um, Isn't there some stuff in the Cimmerillion about the language? Too? Oh, yeah. But the you get into something like Star Trek, the original series, and you did not get a lot of alien languages. For one very important reason. It's a TV show. They didn't have the money to do it. Right. They didn't have the time to do it. Uh, so the Universal Translator comes along. 
aha, this is why everyone speaks English, ta-da. And of course, we show, we see the Universal Translator in like two episodes, and we never see it again. <laughs> I read somewhere that it was sewn into the badge. It was sewn into the emblem this is in the original yeah. series. But I think that's a retcon. Oh, because sure. Because it, no, it was never... It was a, yeah, it was, it was a flashlight. This big, this big <laughs> thing, yeah. So, uh, but uh, but then you get into you get into and again storytelling changes how we treat genre fiction on TV and, and popular entertainment has changed, and so it's been given the room to have the you know ability to 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 expand on this, and you end up with movies where the premise of the film is about an alien language, mm -hmm. and you know, you look at the uh, the fact that communication between humans and, and aliens actually becomes a plot point. And it becomes an important thing about how, you know, mistakes can be made and and isn't there connections can be made too. Isn't there something along those lines in Enemy Mine? Um, more it, so in the had, book. Is it okay? More so in the book. Uh, I think we get a little bit. I can't. It's been too long since we've seen the film. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, I think we get a little bit, as they as they learn to speak each other's language because they don't have translators on the planet either. Yeah. Um, in the last Starfighter, it was the thing that got clipped to the right collar. Right. But in there, you have alien language. Prior to when Matt gets sure. the the translator in his collar, and so well, and you see things like off. you know you get Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, of course, with the Fable Fish. Yep. You get uh, translator microbes in Farscape. Yep. Um, Mazers even mentions uh, the real life Babel Fish type of thing, where you've got various different translation algorithms where you can talk mm -hmm. into your phone and it speaks, you know, it speaks out a translation, which are. Pretty slick these days. The early versions of those <laughs> uh, were a little bit, let, let's say, clunky. Yeah. Uh, in in terms of their their ability to get things right. Uh, and again, I think we run to, run into one of the cool things that you can get in in science fiction storytelling, but it can be very very awkward in real life, is the fact that because sentence structure is different, because grammar structures are different. There are not obvious translations across yeah. the board. You can see it in subtitling, where sometimes you'll sit there and go, "Oh yes, that's not actually what those words mean in that context." I I actually ran into this myself because for my feature film mm -hmm. for the Apology Dance, I actually went through and uh, had people. Who spoke those languages right. mm -hmm. translate? So I have German—not uh, German. I have Spanish and I have French. Mm -hmm. The French subtitles never got finished because I mean, the, the translation's all done, mm -hmm. but I never finished the subtitles because the the way the DVD software works. Well, aside here inside baseball, it creates subtitles as a graphic, as right, an sure. image. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So it's a still image. It's not a text thing. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back. And cut various different parts because it'd be too long. It'd be you know it just it'd be this giant right, sure. word salad of a thing. So the the French subtitles I think I'm about halfway done, 
with doing all of that over again. But um, the short ver the short film that was the basis for the feature, mm -hmm. when I called the the apology dance, I wanted to translate it into Spanish to have you know the the art the art film feel right you know because sure. you know foreign film, and so I talked to a friend of mine. I was like, "How would you translate this?" And she's like, "Well, you wouldn't. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go that way in Spanish." Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what would be my closest analog mm -hmm. to this? Because the apology dance ends up being flipped in Spanish. The dance of apology. Sure. Right. You know, El baile de disculpa, where you have the the noun first and then the adjective, whereas in English you have the adjective and the and right. then the noun. So yeah, it was it was one of those things like, okay, well I have to where where do you put this word? Where we, yeah, where is this? Well, and, and then you look at you look at one of the ways you can make a character seem alien by doing the same thing only in English. You have a character like Yoda, mm. whose English sentence structure is odd. Yeah. Not because he's saying anything incorrectly. The word we understand what Yoda is saying. Mm -hmm. Tells tells you something about English right there. Is that <laughs> right? You could, you could scramble the the word order, and we sit there and go, "Yeah, I get it." Well, oh, it's like that thing where you can even see where they scramble the scramble the letters. Oh, sure. And if certain letters are in the right place, you can still read it. It's well, it, again, it's a mutt of a language. Yeah. It, it's English. It's English's strength, and it's and it's its weakness. Funny about Vulcan, because if you look at the motion picture, especially, but also in in Star Trek Two, they're speaking English, and they had to go back and create Vulcan in a way that matched-ish what we saw on the screen. Mm -hmm. So the gra the grammar, who knows what the grammar is for Vulcan? Oh yeah, no, it's all over the place, but. Um, it stirs your human half, Spock. I mean, that's the that's the Vulcan version of. I don't even remember what what the English subtitles were, but I uh, it always has struck me. It's like she's just saying, she's just saying it in a different way in English. It stirs your human half, but you've got the lisps and the and mm -hmm. the right, yeah. and and the fricatives and all of that. And I'm like, that's not changed enough for me to, to, to buy that this is an actual Well, you know, there's only so language. many sounds, right? I, yeah, I know. Well, There's and, a lot of so many sounds. And you're restricted, still. you're restricted too because you're having to dub a, an alien language right. to match English lip movements. So mm -hmm. you're, only, you're only able to do so much anyway. Otherwise, it's obvious right. that it's been dubbed. Well, so. and, and, and we're, we're kind of leaning heavily on science fiction languages, aside from Lord of the Rings, but you look at Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's a, lot of a, fan, a lot of fantasy stories do. That's a functional so. language. Yeah. They built a functional language from what is in on the page, but they also made it, the, the page is just printed words. How does that sound? It sounds like this. And for, for all the fans of that show, you've heard a functioning language that you could talk in, yeah. you could communicate with people. If you, if like any other language on on Earth, you if you learn 
the words, you learn how it goes together, it becomes a thing where you can have real conversations. It's not just a piece of a word here or, or you know, uh, as much as uh, you, get something, you get something like Farscape where the things that tended to not translate with the translator, micro translator microbes were the curse words. Mm -hmm. And that was a way of making all of these all of these different alien races swear differently. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And it made it added flavor to the storytelling by making our our, you know, every this is a very pleasant conversation, you rat bastard. You know, I mean and mm. but the but the words don't translate, so it becomes a different thing. But the audience got it, and it slipped past the. You could get around the censors. You could basically have a show where they are constantly swearing. They're constantly going, "We're all going to die in a blah 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 blah." Yeah. And it was an amusing and entertaining thing for the audience, but it also um, had, a, in the context of the story, made they had a logical reason for it. These are metaphor well, that don't necessarily translate. This the is fun, a, the funny part is that you even had some of that in Star Trek: The Next Generation. You did because the, I recall at least once where Picard swore in French, right, and it went completely past everybody. But yes. when he said that, I thought, "Hang on, I know what that word means." So, so funny story. <laughs> you have you have them pulling that off. Pulling that off in Star Trek The Next Generation, the best example of that, though, was Remington Steele. Where you had Pierce Brosnan regularly using British curse words mm. at an American audience who did not realize what he was actually saying. Yeah. And we don't, we don't have that impact here. But honestly, folks... When someone says bloody yeah. in the UK, it's a much stronger curse word there. The emphasis and, and the... And, and the, it's the, an intensifier for anything else that comes afterwards. Right. And, and so, but he, he used some other words <laughs> that, <laughs> that while are, they're not particularly nasty curse words, they are definitely things that the American censors... If they had realized what was happening, they would have been like, you cannot say that. <laughs> They'd be like... Yeah. Uh, Mazur says there's a version of the Phantom Menace out there that's called the Magnolia Fan Edit that's really interesting, been around since 2001, makes Jar Jar very different by changing Ahmed Best's lines to an actual, undescribable alien language on the audio track and putting in different subtitles than his original dialogue. Oh, sure. Interesting. Well, because that is an example of how not to write a character. Yeah. But it, in that particular case, you have an easier time of it because you have a CG character. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have the restriction of somebody is speaking English and you've got to make, you know, like with the Vulcan priests. Right, sure. On there, um, and Christopher, I did see your question earlier about young Sherlock Holmes. I think that would be worth a revisit mm, as well. Yeah. Uh, Christopher says, "What are your thoughts about how dialects affect the perception of a character?" Uh, the actor who played the Gump in Legend is German. All of his English dialogue was redubbed by an actress. 
that also reminds me of um, Andy McDowell getting completely overdubbed in the Tarzan movie because right. she sounded like she sounded too much like she was from the South. Well, I just I just watched just rewatched Hudson Hawk. Mm. Um, Hudson Hawk is, I guess, a guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> Because it's actually a very funny comedy. It was, was Bruce Willis. Yeah, it was as marketed. A it was marketed as an action movie. Yeah, it's not an action movie. Right. It's a comedy. It's a very silly movie. But Andy McDowell is in it, and there's a moment you sit there and go, "Wait, is she supposed to be an Italian nun?" Because spoiler alert, um, she no, sound she's not even remotely <laughs> trying to sound Italian. She just sounds and 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 she. It's one of my favorite roles. She's she's so funny in that film. Um, but I'm like, uh, um, yeah. It's like, it's like watching John Wayne do Genghis Khan. Oh, I know. Because it's know. like, there's well, no way. Well, see, and and then you get into these things where um, stuff like that can be distracting. Oh, sure. And there are times. Star Trek Discovery, I guess, would be an example of this, where you have the use of an alien language, mm -hmm. but it's done in a way that people are sitting there going, why are they talking like that? You know, it's because every everybody speaking Klingon in the first season of Discovery, the way I have read it described, because I haven't watched it, uh, is... Everybody, and I've, well, I, I take it back. I have seen some clips because I saw the first episode. But everybody speaking Klingon sounds like they have some kind of appliance in their mouths mm. that keeps them from talking anything. You can't even say what they're saying. And it's a distraction mm. because, well, yes, they're speaking Klingon. Yes, but they're not speaking Klingon with any kind of enunciation, you could tell that they're fighting the teeth that are in their mouth yeah, because it's fake teeth that they're mm -hmm. they're having to work around. Right, and and there is there is an art form to talking with facial appliances. Mm -hmm. It can be as simple as somebody wearing fangs. Yeah, to really mess up how they talk. So I think it's. If you're going to do a language, if you're going to build something where you're going to expect your, your actors to perform that language, no. um, you have to consider that. You have to consider, you know, A, are they going to be in heavy makeup, and B, is it a thing that's going to be easy for them to say? Just like that, that with that, that young lady who was watching the, the, doing the Chinese reaction videos. Right. It's like, she could tell they were trying to speak Chinese but couldn't understand what they were saying because they basically were given they were given, it. they were given they were given a word and they were probably given a few minutes with a chinese speaking member of the crew you or get a dialect, a dialect coach. coach comes yeah. in and they had a few minutes with them because again tv production schedules yeah. um, and so they probably did their best and they probably, the the dialect coach probably sat there and went it's good enough. <laughs> yeah. I have always thought, because when, when Star Trek was rolling out all of these different series, I 
thought, it, I've always thought that it would be interesting to do either a, a miniseries or a feature film all in Klingon and do a Klingon-centric mm -hmm. story. But as I, as I get older, and I see it, and I, I, it, it strikes me that that probably wouldn't play that well because you're either going to be, you're, you're going to have to be dealing with subtitles. Sure. And there's only a certain segment of the of Amer American English speaking population that has the patience to sit through subtitles. Yeah, but they should learn to do it because as much as there are some really beautiful dubs out there. There are some just, I mean, some of them are just incredibly yeah. well done. The fact is, is there's still a good percentage of really fantastic foreign films that the dubs are just not good. Right. And you can get some really well crafted subtitles that you want versus the American English dub. I, I mean, generally and, and, tend to lean toward subtitles myself. Um, uh, La Femme Nikita, mm -hmm. the 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 original, right? Um, the gr the gritty the gritty one the gritty one, which yeah. I, I I like I like Point of No Return as well, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, the the film. I generally, whenever I make a recommendation for people to watch that, I say watch it with the subtitles because mm -hmm. there is emotion in the performances right. that the dubs don't always get and right. That, and uh, look, voice acting is not easy. No. <clears throat> I, I have nothing but respect for everybody who's working in the voice fields. Some are better at it than others. That's yeah. the way it is in any, any, any performance field. It's not easy work. But it is very hard, and, and you and I have both done with post-production audio <laughs> ourselves. Yes. I once had a, had a, had a film, that um, The Space Between, with uh, Kurt Hanover and uh, uh, Christina Jeffrey, and they are two of my favorite actors that I've worked with. Uh, I worked with Kurt on a bunch of stuff. Christina is one of the finest performers I've ever seen. She's an amazing performer. Mostly retired from acting now, um, but just amazing. And the two of them had great chemistry, mm. and it's an emotional sto story. I'm very proud of my writing um, in that particular one. I'm very proud of the performances they made of my writing. On the day, there was an auto show Mm. not too terribly far away and it turns out we were right on the path for a lot of these really nice vintage-ish jalopies in some cases cars coming down the street blowing our audio take right. after take after take Christi at the end of the sh uh, we wrapped shooting Christina got up from the, from the table we were shooting at she gets in she walks into the middle of the road throws her arms up in the air and says, that's an effing rap. She was, I mean, both of them worked just, they, they shouldered, they, you know, they soldiered through it, they did yeah. a fantastic job, but it was very frustrating. So they both had to come in and do ADR. It's a nine minute short film. That's, that's tough. It's nine minutes, and it's an emotional short film. It's not nine minutes of, 
we went down to the shop and had yeah. the no. It's it's yeah. Two people who have who, who are in pain. Two people who, who have an, a, a relationship with each other that is under stress. There are reasons. There are tears. There are things there. It's like now reproduce it. Yeah. Right. Re so, three months later, or Repro you know, how reproduce long that long incredible yeah. chemistry you guys had on the day separately. You're not even in the same room when you're right. recording. It's tough. There's a story. Uh, uh, um, Leonard Nimoy was directing Diane Keaton and The Good Mother. Mm. There's a courtroom scene where she's up on the stand and she has to do this thing and give this really long speech. And it's one take. I mean, they're, they're not, right. it, it's not broken up. <clears throat> and they go through and Diane Keaton gives this Tour de force performance. I mean, the tears and the emotions and everything. They had the wrong kind of film loaded in the camera. Oops. We had daylight film instead of tungsten film because they're shooting inside. Mm -hmm. So you have a particular type of film to work inside with artificial lights rather than outside with sunlight because it's a different color. And they had the daytime sunlight film in the magazine, and they had to do it again. And Nimoy went, and apparently, I think he got, he got her a dozen roses, and basically came and just apologized profusely. I am so sorry, we're going to have to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. and, but yeah, those, those things. But I can't even imagine doing something like that in another language on top right, of it. Right, right. And I think that I think that so the folks who the folks who do the dubs and and I there are there are some bad dubs. Let's and an alien language to boot. I mean when you clear. when you go even further cuz you mm -hmm. know going from one language that's spoken on earth to another language spoken on earth that's one thing. But when you now go to well, something you, with completely different syntax and when and you when you've built a language and you a, care because there are also some science fiction fantasy stuff out there you could sit there and go they're just making noises right it's kind of like Muttley right and, and hey sometimes that works sometimes it's an effective way of just getting the point across right yeah. but when you've built these languages and you've built these these sentence structures and things like that and you've got actors who are you Game of Thrones. They're performing a scene in that language, mm -hmm. and that means it has to be coherent, at least within their discussion, their how they're right. they're playing it. As opposed to Sontarans. I mean, that's that's an interesting alien language, right? Well, so full, full, co, full, full, full. You know, I mean, everything everything is the same. Well, that, that's not Sontaran. That's um. um Jadoon. Jadoon. That's Jadoon. Well, and so here's here's an interesting thing that that comes across that you get this in some in some created languages from fantasy and science fiction, is what the human hears versus what's actually there. Yeah. It's like um, there was an old Doctor Who thing where it's like the Ogrons, where it's like in the, they were the if you're not familiar with they have they have not really been revived in the modern era. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a um, long time. They are. They were a Dalek servant race. Basically, the Daleks used Ogrons, who are vaguely ape-like, uh, to be sort of agents of theirs. They're basically, and they weren't terribly bright. That's probably why they haven't shown up again. Shown up here, but 
there was more than one. I want to say I want to say it was fanfic stuff or something. It might have been a couple. No, it was it was it was in the uh, it was in the Virgin line of novels. Oh, okay. Right. They bring the they bring them back, and you find out they have incredibly rich poetry. But the thing is, is that humans just don't understand mm. that the the words that they're using have like a really different set of meanings in Ogron, but in in an English translation, we only get. Ogron go down to store, where it's basically in their language they're saying, this morning I woke up, considered the day, <laughs> decided that going, going it's and, and just complete, like this. <laughs> complete opposite to Vogon poetry. Right, right. right. right? But yeah. the thing is, is that it ends up being the, 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 the humor and the thing lies in the fact, of course, that we're the dumb ones for not understanding what they're saying. Right. They sound dumb to us. Uh, and, and it, it, one of the cool things about languages in, in genre fiction and science fiction is that sometimes you can really build these very interesting, rich stories about how we communicate and what we're trying to do with things that aren't like us. Mm -hmm. We talk about the, uh, I think we talked about it last week or the week before, how the other is, is often basically used for, you know... Shorthand. Shorthand for, for things you should be afraid of, things, you know. Right. And yet, one of the great things about science fiction is is that we're going. The idea is that we get out into the universe, we encounter alien races, and we don't kill each other. Yeah. We talk to each other, we connect with each other, and so much of that comes down to finding a way to communicate with something that is vastly alien. To there you. is a series of novels by Anne Crispin, mm -hmm. the Starbridge series. Mm -hmm. And the first novel especially uh, does this, but I think the the fourth or fifth one also does it quite a bit because language factors in because we, we meet an alien race mm -hmm. and now we're having to figure out how to talk to this alien race and make sure that they don't shoot us you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's a rather interesting story, but there's also one uh, later in the series where you're actually also having to worry, work in sign language and an alien race with a language, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's all of that. So, you know, that, and that's even a, a whole nother thing because, you know, any kind of gesture-based language has a completely different set of rules and, and structures and context and everything else. Uh, by the way, I, I did see this note from Benjamin uh, about uh, they're selling Spider-Man tickets on eBay for $10,000 a piece. Uh, I'm looking I, forward to seeing the film, but not I'm not... that much. Not, I, no. I, do, I do not currently require. I, I, I wonder about that because I don't know that anybody's got... Are they even is is no way home? Are is pre-sales are going on now? How it's, would you go about your buying? Money, by all means. Yeah, but how would you do that? Because if 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 you have the tickets in Toronto, say, and I'm in Dallas, I can't buy your tickets because I'm not in Toronto. How would that work? How would you do that? That doesn't even. No. That doesn't even make any sense. No. I'm not saying Benjamin is wrong. I mean, I, it's entirely. I I totally believe that somebody is trying to do that on eBay. I just don't but, re 
don't need I, and I don't need to go see any movie that bad. No. I want to see the film. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, but um, so so speaking of things like the, the how the language is more than sound. Yep. Language is more than uh, just the words we say, especially when you're human. How we communicate. It's like if you if you're watching me uh, now, you can see my hands are moving. I'm using as my head is moving in a certain way. We smile when we talk. We frown. All of these communicate things. You can you can have a conversation with someone, and the smile never reaches their eyes, mm. and the words that they say might be friendly. Yes. But you can tell... Diplomatic friendly. Politeness as a weapon. Yeah. And, and so, and of course, then you take that and you turn it into, now you're speaking to a creature that doesn't have eyes. Or, <laughs> or if you're dealing with an alien, alien race that speaks not only with sound, vocalizations, mm -hmm. but also scent. Right, because there's there's those stories as well where really, that, that I, comes in, and I think that we we don't because of the nature of shorthand, because of having how you only have time to tell certain kinds of stories, you don't get much beyond uh, the vocal version. So you get Klingon, you get you know right. Vulcan, but you have a film like The Arrival, or Arrival. The The Arrival is a different movie, <laughs> right? Um, but Arrival and not only do you have a language structure that is primarily visual, mm. um, it's a written, it's a written language, but it's how they how the, the those creatures perceive time yeah. factors into what their word, what their message means. Well, and I think it's interesting that out of oh, out of cool. all of the different attempts to communicate with aliens. That we have done, mm -hmm. you know, we spend we spend our time figuring out well how do we how do we communicate with people, and the the gold record that's on Voyager right, yeah. and, and all of these things, and a lot of times it comes down to math, right, prime numbers and that sort of thing, and I, and a lot of this is is a lot easier to get deeper in the weeds in prose fiction sure. rather than like you're saying with with TV and film, you've got what you see and hear on the screen, and that's all you've got. And you've only got so much time of your story that you can devote to it. Yeah. And by the way, folks, we are not planning any Smell-O-Vision episodes anytime soon. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, right. Well, but there, could, we could do the we could do the little horror thing that uh, uh, was it Hill. Who would sit there and wire up the seats and you'd get little, oh, yes, little yes. shocks from time to time? <laughs> I wonder how we could do that. No, we'll have to think I, about I that. Think, I think it actually had the unfortunate name of the Tingler. Yeah. Um, Tingle Vision. Which, which. <laughs> All right. We yeah. will, well, how about how about we 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 uh, leave it at that? All right. So we're past our hour. I think I think uh, that's a good place to. And honestly, there's there's more sorry. we could talk about because we, sure. we've only we've only covered a few. There's quite a few other great science fiction and fantasy stories that use language in a very interesting way. Yeah. Um, so if there's a particular one that you guys like, let us know. Yes, you could. Uh, you can leave a comment on the video. You can leave a comment on the audio. You can send us an email h two o at sci fi for me dot com. Send an interpretive dance. Uh, don't do interpretive dance. No. We I. Unless you're telling a story. 
in a powerful way, in which case, all power to you. Give us your best communication of, of okay. As long as, as long as it's genre. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right, so that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Thank you, all of you who were in the chat. Mazers, Ben, Christopher. Uh, just a quick programming note. Tomorrow on Live from the Bunker, I will have as my guests Cameron Pasha and Judah Engelmeyer. Cameron is a writer and producer, and Judah is a PR expert. Mm -hmm. He's brought in to consult on things every now and again. And we're going to be talking about the Disney Lucasfilm, the Hollywood politics and this PR spin of what's going on over at uh, Disney and Lucasfilm these days. You know, we'll pick apart some rumors, what we know, what we think we know, what we speculate, and what it could all mean. So that's tomorrow. And then Richard Hogue from Hogue Law will be with me on Wednesday. We're going to talk about all of the Activision Blizzard stuff because he's been doing a number of videos on that looking at the legal legal stuff because he's a lawyer and so we'll be doing that on Wednesday so so what's the uh, over under on them just setting fire to it and walking I, away you know <laughs> right at this point I think it's a toss-up how how to really cause yourself a lot of issues <laughs> yeah uh, Christopher says in the sci-fi video game no man's sky there are three distinct languages you have to learn throughout the game to navigate through each culture well, that sounds interesting. I've never played a game that does that. I've never played that particular game, but I, now that you mention it, I remember somebody commenting on language stuff in, in that game, I believe, and so I'm going to have to look, look at it. That Thank yeah. you. All right, so that's it. We're going to head out. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Have a good evening. Thanks, guys. We'll be back next week. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.